So uh, my name is Jesse, and I am very honored and humble to be part of the teaching team here at the mission. And the uh, title for today's message is called The Sermon on the Mountain, A Radical Messiah. But before we, we get into the, into the meat of the message, let's go ahead and read the Word of God in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. And the Word of God says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others as well. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as your beloved children, Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus that you open our hearts to your word. We renounce all of our pride and ask you to make us as humble as you are, Lord. We ask you to teach us to love others as much as you have loved us. Your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So last month, we talked about who I am as a Christian. And this month, as we approach Easter, we're, we are going to be focusing on the identity of Jesus. And we've been learning about who he is through the different aspects of his ministry. So two weeks ago, Pastor Jason spoke about how Jesus was rejected in his, home, in his hometown of Nazareth. And last week, Taylor spoke about how Jesus called his disciples, people who were just common folks like you and me. They had nothing, nothing special. They were just regular folks. They didn't belong to the religious class. They were not teachers of the law. They were fishermen, carpenters. They, they worked with their hands. And this is the people that Jesus called to his ministry. And today, we're going to be focusing on, on the uh, Sermon on the Mountain. And we're going to be learning how this sermon was so radical that changed the whole world. In fact, it was so radical that it inspired other people who in turn changed the world themselves, like Leo Tolstoy, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther, Luther King Jr. These people were inspired by the Sermon on the Mountain, and they also expanded the kingdom of God here on, on earth with their pacifism and with their nonviolent resistance to oppression. The Sermon on the Mountain was especially very, very radical and special for the people who were present there when Jesus was speaking these words. Because the end of the sermon in, in, the verse, in chapter 7, verse 29, says, But the people who were listening were so amazed because Jesus spoke with such an authority that not even the teachers of the law spoke with. They have never heard someone with such an authority before. And there is a reason. Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So 
the purpose of today's teaching is to learn about the nature of Jesus as manifested in the Sermon on the Mountain and why it was so radical. In the Sermon on the Mountain, we see a radical Messiah who came to reverse the established order. So specifically, the established order as the Jewish people had it. The concept of righteousness and how the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious class of the time were implementing and applying righteousness to their lives and imposing it onto the people. Jesus came to reverse that upside down. So, in Jesus, actually, instead of making it easier, he made it way harder. Way harder to fulfill the law. Because the, the, the kingdom standards, as taught in the Sermon of the Mountain by Jesus, increased the bar the bar of how you were going to fulfill the God's commandments. And there is a misunderstanding in some Christian circles that probably the principles that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mountain were not applicable to, to today. Maybe they're applicable to the kingdom that is about to come. Maybe they are applicable when Jesus rules the earth. But Jesus said, no, they are applicable for today. Because th th those ones who hear these words and don't apply it to their lives are like those people who founded their house on the sand, and the storm and the wind came, and the house was destroyed. But those people who hear these words on the Sermon on the Mountain and apply it to their lives is like those people who founded their house on the rock, and the storm came, and the wind blew, and the house just stayed still. So the, the, the Sermon of the Mountain and the words that we hear in this sermon or that we read in this sermon are for today. And so it, they show the reality of how the law of God is applied to our daily lives. And so the Sermon of the Mountain can be divided in three, in three main chunks. So first we have the kingdom identity, where Jesus is speaking about the Beatitudes. And he's telling us how we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, 17 through chapter 7, verse 12, He's talking about of a greater righteousness. And this is how he is increasing the bar for the Pharisees to be able to accomplish and fulfill the law of Moses. See? Because at that time, the Pharisees, they already thought that they, they were righteous in their, own, in their own works. And you know how we call that? We call that self-righteousness. But in the Sermon of the Mountain, the message was not for those people who thought they were self-righteous. The, 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 the message of the Sermon on the Mountain was for those people who hungered for righteousness, but they didn't know how to get it. Those people who couldn't observe the Sabbath, but wanted in their hearts to do it. Those people who, uh, who, who couldn't fulfill or give ties to the temple or give their everything to God, they couldn't do it for physical reasons, but their hunger and thirst was there. Because what Jesus came to do, he came to reverse the order of, of a, how the law was applied. If the Pharisees thought that they were righteous because they give 10% or 20% of their salaries, and they, they were rich, and so they had a lot of money. And then we saw a poor woman who came to the temple, and she only gave one penny. But Jesus told the disciples, you see that woman? I certainly told you that she gave way more than all these Pharisees. And the disciples were astonished. Like, how is that possible? She gave only a penny. She gave nothing. And the Lord says, but she gave her everything. 
And, and, and the Pharisees were given the tithes or whatever was left over. So God in the Sermon of the Mountain increases the bar because He wants your everything. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants you to be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but your will. So and this is the, the message at the heart of the, uh, of the Sermon of the Mountain. And as Jason taught us two weeks ago, before we reach to the, uh, to the times that Jesus gave the sermon, first we see in, in the Bible, in all the Gospels, that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And at that time of his baptism, we see that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after his baptism, the Lord took him to the, to the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, when he was fasting and when he was praying, the devil came to him. And he tempted Jesus, just like, he, just like the devil tempted you and tempts me. Right? And here, Jesus was able to rebuke Satan. And Satan departed from Jesus. And then the next thing that we see is that Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, then he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. There on a Sabbath, on a Saturday in the synagogue, he is invited to read the scriptures in front of the congregation. And so the rabbi gives him the scrolls, and it was the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus opens the scroll and finds what today is chapter 61, before there were no numbers in there. And so Jesus finds that passage, Isaiah 61, and he says, in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is reading Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And this, my friends, is how Jesus' ministry starts. He's calling us oaks of righteousness. Those people who were hungered and thirst for righteousness, God is already imputing into us His own justice. His own righteousness. He's calling us oaks of righteousness. Oaks is one of the biggest trees that there are around today. Hardwood tree planted, really hard to take out, right? And he's calling us that. We are his oaks of righteousness. These trees that cannot be moved, that cannot be unplanted. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's that those people who couldn't get righteousness... Now they have it. Those people who were marginalized, like the, like the fishers, like the disciples, remember the shepherds? Those people who hunger and thirst for, to see God, they were granted that wish and that desire to be able to see God because of their pure heart. And so, in, in the Sermon of the Mountain, we see some topics. Righteousness. That's the main topic of the gospel, and it comes over and over and over again. And we will, we, will, we will be defining what righteousness 
means in the world and as a Christian. Another big theme found in the Sermon of the Mountain, it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? It's interesting. Because in the Sermon of the Mountain, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything will be added. And then in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is made of joy, of peace, and righteousness. So when Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying, seek first joy, peace, and righteousness, and righteousness. So righteousness is square. There is something in there to learn about righteousness. And we see the good news to the poor. The gospel is about good news to the poor. It's about how we are transformed into God's image. When we were in the world, we were lost to our sins. We, we were living in our sinful nature. But then Jesus came. He crucified our sinful nature with him at the cross. So we died with him. And when he resurrected, we resurrected with him to a new nature. You have a new nature. Your new nature is not a nature that produces death anymore. It's not a nature that produces sin anymore. It's a nature that produces justice, that produces righteousness. And so, what is righteousness? I think that begs for the question. So, righteousness is the opposite of sin. You have sin, and the opposite is righteousness. And it is, it is kind of sad that in today's English, when we think of righteousness, we think of self-righteousness, like, like the righteousness of the Pharisees. But we couldn't be further from the truth. In the original Greek, the word for righteousness that we found in the New Testament is called dikaiosune. It's the same word for justice. In Spanish, we only have one word. It's justice. It's the same for righteousness and for justice, like lady justice. You could say lady righteousness because it is the exact same thing. You can say social justice or you can say social righteousness because it is the exact same thing. In English, we change the topic of justice to righteousness and we let two separate words. But in most other languages, especially the Greek and the Roman languages, justice is the same word for righteousness and lady justice or social justice. So, what is God's justice or what is God's righteousness? Let me tell you how the righteousness of the world is manifested or the self-righteousness. The self-righteousness or the justice of the world is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But you know what God's justice is? You know what God's righteousness is? It's that you, while you were still a sinner, an innocent person died for you. He took your sin on the cross and he died a criminal's death on your behalf. Is that justice in the world? No, but that's God's justice. That is God's righteousness. God's righteousness is manifested when you turn the other cheek. That is God's justice. God's justice or God's righteousness is defined or is manifested when you bless those people who curse you. That is God's justice. That is God's righteousness. God's righteousness is also manifested when the poor become rich in spirit. That is God's righteousness. God's justice or God's righteousness is also manifested when you, the meek, will inherit the earth. When you will rule over the earth with Christ because you are the meek. 
the inverse, my dearest brothers and sisters. This is the message of the Sermon in the Mountain. And God's justice or God's righteousness is manifested when we feed the hungry, when we provide water for the thirsty, when we assist the poor and the needy, when we take care of the widows and the orphans. That is God's righteousness. That is God's justice. That is the definition of diakune. Uh, Diac uh, did I pronounce it right? Alex, you may help me here. <laughs> justice or righteousness. And so in the Sermon of the Mountain, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. And remember that he was already filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was speaking with such an authority that, that the people who were there present had never heard before. And so Jesus starts in chapter 5, uh, verse number 1 in Matthew. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the word blessed in the original Greek is makarios, which means full of joy, happy, extremely happy. So what Jesus is saying right here with blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying the poor in spirit be joyful or be extremely happy. Those who mourn, be joyful, for you will be comforted. The meek, be joyful, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice, for they will be filled, says the Lord. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Be blessed, says the Lord, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. And Jesus says to the crowds, You are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. See, in the, um, in the Old Testament, when we see the, uh, the symbol of salt, it means something that is preserved, something that is long-lasting. And so it was God's covenant that he made with Israel. The salt symbolized the covenant of God's uh, pact with the people of Israel. And now Jesus is saying, well, now you, my friends, you, my dear brothers and sisters, you are that covenant. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and templed under food. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Jesus is telling us, we are the light of the world. And you know what's interesting? Jesus is the light of the world. So what he's saying with this is that now we are his representatives here on earth. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth. He brought the kingdom of God to us. And now it's up to us to continue doing the work of Jesus, to continue expanding the kingdom of God here on earth. Because we are the light of the world, just as Jesus is the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bow. 
Instead, they put it on a stand. And the stand gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So when you represent Christ here on earth with good works, not because you are saved or you become just or righteous by words. No, you become righteous by faith. But that new nature that Jesus gives you as your inheritance produces fruits and good deeds of righteousness. So when people see the deeds and the good fruits produced in you because of God's righteousness in you, they will give praise and glorify the Father because of your good deeds. So what Jesus is saying is that light, don't let it, let it shine. Like the song says, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't turn the light off. Let it shine so people can give glory to God because of you. Another big topic of the Sermon in the Mountain is the fulfillment of the law. So God, uh, Jesus says in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the last stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of, the, of one of these least commands and teaches others to do accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how hard the disciples and the crowds thought that it was for them to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? These people were so poor that they had to work on Saturday. It doesn't mean that they didn't want to observe the Sabbath. Even Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying when anyone who breaks one of the, these, these commands and teaches others to do it will be the least in the kingdom? Isn't the Sabbath one of the commandments? Isn't observing the Sabbath or not eating pork one of the commandments? Yes, they are. But what Jesus is doing, he's reversing the established order. Because in their self-righteousness, the Pharisees fulfilled the law according to the letter of the law, not according to the Spirit. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? When a priest saw the person who was uh, wounded by the side of the road and didn't stop to help the person because the, the, the priest needed to get to the synagogue or to the temple on time, right? Well, the, the priest, in their mind, they were like, oh, sorry, I can't help you right now because I'm fulfilling the law. I have to go my priestly duties. But Jesus said, well, that person, the Samaritan, who stopped and helped the wounded was more righteous than the priest who needed to get to the temple soon to perform priestly duties. Because what the Good Samaritan did or applied was the spirit of the law. For the law is summarized in love, your, love God with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the fulfillment of the law. So when Jesus is saying, those who break one, one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do it will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He was referring to the spirit of the law. 
Anyone who sees their neighbor wounded on the road and doesn't help them because you need to get to church on time to be on the connect team or to teach or to preach or to worship, you, my friend, are breaking the law because you would be breaking the spirit of the law because the spirit of the law was to help that person, not for you to be in church, in church on time. So, and, I'll, and Jesus said, nothing, nothing, not, no single letter of the law will disappear without its fulfillment because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So the, the self-righteousness that was blinded the Pharisees and they couldn't see beyond their eyes, therefore they rejected Jesus because Jesus was preaching a greater righteousness and the, Pharisee, the Pharisees couldn't achieve that because it would go against their established order. It would go against their own power because they were the only ones who could feel, fulfill the letter. But Jesus is reversing the order and healing people on the Sabbath. He is he's healing the wounded. He is giving water to the thirsty and feeding the hungry on the Sabbath. Because the spirit of the law is greater than the letter of the law. And then Jesus goes on with these concepts in verse 21. Where, where he says... You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. What Jesus is doing, he's saying is, yeah, the law says do not murder. Oh man, but that is so easy. That is so easy to follow, right? If, if only were that. But now Jesus is saying, if you're angry, with your brother or with your sister, you're already guilty of murder. That's what Jesus is saying. He's increasing the bar. So that's why the people who are listening, like, okay, this is impossible to follow. And it, it, it is impossible. It is impossible because it goes, it goes against the sinful nature. But what Jesus was about to do in his work as we approach Easter, in his work of the crucifixion and the resurrection, was to get away with a sinful nature. But now, if you, if you feel that you're angry with your brother or sister, now you will be able to be transformed, and God will take that anger away. So you will not be guilty of murder anymore. Because it is so easy to follow the letter of the law, do not murder, but the spirit of the law that tells me, do not be angry with my neighbor whose dog just pooped on my grass. Right? Do not be angry with him. And if I can forgive, and if I can with grace, you know, go and clean that up, then I am already practicing my works of righteousness. And Jesus continues saying on verse chapter, uh, verse 22, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means empty, moron, idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you are a fool will be danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then you remembered that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there, and go and reconcile with your brother or with your sister, and then come back and give your offering and your gift back to God. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. For truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So what Jesus is saying right here is, 
even if you try to, to fulfill the letter of the law, you will still be guilty of breaking the spirit of the law, and therefore the punishment still awaits you. But when you fulfill the spirit of the law, the only thing that remains is righteousness and salvation. And salvation, or what we call eternal life, or eternal life, it's a byproduct of righteousness. Sometimes, as baby Christians, when we come to, to believe in Jesus, and, and we now believe that we're going to heaven after we die, um, and, and, that's, and that was the work or the gospel or the good news, that was actually the reward of the good news. That was actually the byproduct of the good news. The good news is righteousness. Because without righteousness, you cannot be in heaven. Without righteousness, you cannot have eternal life. So we didn't seek eternal life. We sought righteousness, and then eternal life, it's our reward. It's the byproduct. And when the Pharisees, when they were trying to be self-righteous, fulfill the law on their own effort, what they were trying to do is trying to gain eternal life by their own merits. But when Jesus came back and reversed that, and he said, no, if you believe in me, I will give you that righteousness that you're trying to seek on your own effort. And not only that, it's not that I'm just going to consider you righteous before God. It's also that I'm going to give you the engine that produces righteousness. That is your new nature, a new nature that produces righteousness. So God, Jesus, takes away your sinful nature and puts a new nature in you that produces fruit of righteousness. And that is and, and, the, and the byproduct of that is eternal, eternal life. And to continue on this idea of how Jesus is making things harder, in verses 27, then he's, he's talking about adultery. Jesus is saying, you have heard before, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you now that if you look at a woman and you desire her with loss in your heart, you already commit, committed adultery with her. And what Jesus is saying is, for the Pharisees, it was so easy. You're sure I never committed adultery. Oh God, if I see a, a married woman, I even look away. But what if the woman is single? The, 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 the law, the letter of the law doesn't say anything about it, right? Doesn't say, hmm, maybe I can give to the desires of the flesh and lust after a single woman. But Jesus is saying, if you do that, you're already committing adultery. So Jesus is raising the bar. Now, is it possible for men, for women, to look at other people without loss? Absolutely, because you have a new nature. This new nature reverses the order of the sinful nature. So your sinful nature is, is died with Jesus, and your new nature produces fruits of righteousness. And I am repeating myself because Jesus repeats himself with different analogies, with different examples. Also, Jesus tells us, in verse 38, you have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But today I'm telling you, resist the evil person. And anyone who is who is lapsing on the right cheek, turn the left cheek. Right? And anyone who wants to take your, your shirt, give them your jacket as well. Anyone who asks you to take a, a burden for one mile, then carry that burden for two miles. Right? And if we take this literally, it may be easy for them too. I mean, I've never been slapped on, on the cheek literally. So, you know, if I put a, the left one, I've I never been in that situation. And I may never be in that situation. I've never been asked by anybody to carry anything for a mile. Why would I carry it for two? 
right? But Jesus is going above and beyond his own literal words. What he's saying is, yeah, sure, maybe you've never been slapped on the cheek literally, but has someone cursed you? Has someone uh, who you trusted has broken the trust? Has, were you on the road and were you hit by someone and you were 100% that they were at fault and they, they lied to the adjusters and now you are 50% responsible? How do you take that? Right? If, if someone sues you or is, or is defaming you or is libeling you or is slandering you, do you sue them in court or do you pray for them or do you bless them? Because God says, mine is vengeance. Vengeance does not belong to you. Your justice or your righteousness in God is not about you getting even with other people. Your justice or righteousness that comes from God is saying, God, I leave this up on you. I bless those people who are cursing me. I bless those people who are trying to sue me. I bring them to your altar, Lord. Bless them. I pray for them. Bless their finances. Bless their health. Bless their family because vengeance is yours. That is God's righteousness or God's, God's justice, the inverse of the world. Also, Jesus is telling us, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate, and hate your enemy. But now Jesus is raising the bar again. He's telling us, but I'm telling you now, love your enemies as well. And for me, this is a PC, right? I don't have any enemies. So why would I love my enemies if I don't have any enemies? And, and as I was reading this, then it got to me like, that is true. I might not be anybody's enemy, but I surely do have a few enemies. Because then the Spirit of the Lord came to me and he says, hmm, what do you think when you hear the name Joe Biden or Donald Trump? What do you think in your heart when you hear the name Vladimir Putin or Benjamin Netanyahu? How do you feel in your heart when you hear the name Hillary Clinton? How do you feel in your heart when you hear the name of people who you don't identify with politically? Right? Do you bless them or do you wish them ill will? And I said, wow, God, you're right. Some of those people are my enemies. They may not know me. They have done anything against me personally. But that would be the equivalent of them being my enemies. And if I have ever desired ill will to Vladimir Putin or to Benjamin Netanyahu or to Joe Biden or to Donald Trump, I repent, Lord. And I bless them. Keep them safe. Bless their finances. Bless their health. Because vengeance is yours. Says the Lord. And then... In verse 47, he says, And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans, the pagans do that? So be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God is, Jesus is telling us to be perfect as God is perfect. You may say, but this is not possible. Well, you're wrong. It is possible. Ephesians 4, 24 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And thus, we can be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. 
But Jesus made the hard work already. Yes, we cannot be perfect in our own effort. Just like the Pharisees couldn't do it. They thought they were. And that is called self-righteousness. But we, we are humble before God. And we say, like, Lord, without you, I cannot do any of these things. Without you, I cannot look at a woman without lust. Without you, I cannot pray for my enemies. Without you, I cannot turn the other cheek. Without you, I'm imperfect. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. But with you, I am righteous. With you, I am not a sinner anymore. With you, I can turn the other cheek. With you, I can produce fruits of righteousness and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world for the people. Meaning, through you, I can expand the kingdom of God here on earth. If I just say, Lord, not my will, by your will. Not my wishes, by your wishes. Not my desires, by your desires. Not my passions, by your passions. And God is a gentleman. He will take that word and he will use you. If you surrender your will, if you surrender your free will to God, he will take that. And he will say, I'm sorry, you gave me your free will. Well, now you belong to me. So your free will is now my free will, says the Lord. Because you gave it back. And you can do that. Or you can say like, no, God, this is my free will. Thank you for giving me my free will. Then I choose to do with, with it whatever I choose to do. God is a gentleman. He will step. And then you can go ahead and fulfill your own will. But if you surrender that to the feet of God, that is your crown of righteousness. If you surrender your crown of righteousness to the feet of the Lord, He will take it and say, my beloved child, you will be my vessel for the kingdom of God here on earth. You will feed the hungry. You will give water to the thirsty. You will help the widows and the orphans. Because it is my work that is being done through you, not your own effort, not your own merit. And so as we continue reading the uh, Sermon on the Mountain, it's so beautiful and so huge. So I do recommend you to go home and read Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We, we don't have time to go over the entire sermon today. But then Jesus also speaks to us how to fast, how to pray the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon of the Mountain, a beautiful prayer. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God is also telling us not to judge others, right? Because we may be in the same position. So rather, any brother or sister who falls or stumbles with grace, we should lift these people up. And that is in the Sermon of the Mountain. In the Sermon of the Mountain, we also see Jesus being, being faithful and telling us not to worry about anything. Bring your everything to God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and everything will be added. Look at the lilies of the field. For even, not even Solomon, with all his might and glory, dressed as beautifully as the lilies of the field. Or look at the birds in the sky. You know, they, God does, they don't worry, and yet God feeds them. So why would you worry about what are you going to wear, your clothing on your back, or what are you going to eat tomorrow? If you seek for God's kingdom and righteousness, you will lack anything. You will lack nothing. And so, Jesus closed the Sermon of the Mountain in chapter, in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 24, saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail or did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, 
The streams rose and the winds blew and, and beat against the house and fell with a great crash. And so when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And that authority of Jesus came from the Holy Spirit because even though he was God in the flesh, he humbled himself to be just like you and me. We see a point in time when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was not filled with the Holy Spirit before his baptism. It was after his baptism, as we learn in all the four Gospels. And then he spoke with such an authority because it came from God the Father. Amen? So, uh, to conclude, as the worship team comes back up, let's read Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And the Word of God says, as in the prophet Jeremiah, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write on their hearts my law. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your righteousness and your justice, Lord. Because it has been written in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you because even though we didn't deserve it, you have made us just as radical in love as you are. Thank you because with your law in our hearts is that we can love others as much as you love us. Thank you for teaching us the way in serving others and for putting the interests of the poor and the needy before our own. Thank you because you have given us a heart as beautiful and as pure as your own heart, Jesus. Your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.